1: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have one of my favorites and a repeat offender, Allie Miller. She is an integrative functional dietitian and author of a great book uh, called The Anti-Anxiety Diet and also Naturally Nourished. And now we're going to talk about her newest book, The Anti-Anxiety Diet Cookbook, and get into her background and experience. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Elle. I'm super excited to be back. For those that don't know or want to hear the first episode we did about the anti-anxiety diet book, not the cookbook, that's episode 288 of the Primal Blueprint podcast. So I know that you, you know, we talked on the last podcast, you've gone through your own health journey. That's how a lot of us even get to this point. Tell us why you decided to go into this functional dietitian route.
2: So I've always been curious about how the body works. I I grew up as a dancer and, you know, using my body as an instrument per se. And I started to connect deeper into environment and its impact and the connectivity of seasons and eating locally, uh, becoming a locavore per se. I think we talked last episode on my uh, dip into veganism and, you know, micronutrient deficiencies that came alongside with that. Uh, But when I went to Bestandia, Deer University, which is a naturopathic college of medicine, that's when I really started to redefine my relationship with food and really connect the dots of the essential component of ancestral eating and snout to tail philosophy and reincorporating animal product. And I found that that really was a big foundational shift. Personally, that helped me to balance my mood, had a favorable influence on my hormones, and definitely on anxiety and gut health.
1: Now, most of our audience is probably aware of, you know, being fat adapted versus a sugar burner and what that can do to your adrenals and anxiety levels. With because we're gonna talk about the cookbook, but for people who haven't listened to the other episode, you know it's amazing how many people are going to a paleoprimal ancestral type of paradigm for mood uh, disorders and other issues. And I always bring this one up because we had a guest on the show, Holly Perkins, a celebrity fitness trainer who was on antidepressants since she was like 11 years old and still never gave up to search for an answer, even though it was sort of like, this is the way you are. And in her 40s, she found out, through blood markers that she had a very serious sensitivity to gluten and eggs. Or sorry, gluten and dairy. And when she quit that within one year she was able to wean off all antidepressants and that story she was told about her mind and her (sighs) mental health. Turns out it wasn't true. It was two culprits. I'd love to hear from you for the people that are suffering out there. I know you've talked and spoken to so many people who've turned it around based on something simple like that. Something where they found out (laughs) some dumb thing was the culprit. Can you touch on a few of those stories? Absolutely. So, you know,
2: as a functional medicine practitioner, we're always seeking for the root cause and and wondering why someone is expressing an undesired symptom or why they're getting these biomarkers or lab values that are elevated or imbalanced. And often it comes down to inflammation, which can be influenced greatly by food sensitivity and leaky gut. So in the anti-anxiety diet, I take a six different entry point approach and two of those six elements, Go direct to the gut. One is removing inflammatory foods, and I do remove dairy and gluten because they actually cross the blood brain barrier and they can interfere with our opioid receptors. So we see significant clinical research that ties manic depressive disorder as well as bipolar disorder and mania, addictive tendencies, outrage, because that opioid receptor element of the gluteomorphin and the caseomorphin, so the casein protein and the the gliadin protein have a significant role on behavior and mood and addictive tendencies.
1: And as we both know, but I'd love you to touch on this, which you did on the last podcast, and I'm not sure what your current status is, but we both know, and people who've listened to us, the gluten uh, components as well are bad triggers for the immune system when it comes to Hashimoto's, right? And Is it true that you are still managing Hashimoto's through being naturally nourished versus (laughs) thyroid hormones? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So I'm
2: very proactive with supplementation and I'm constantly proactive with also labs. So I quarterly run my thyroid panel, which includes my TPO. That's the element that's generally elevated with me. The last TPO was at 22. Um, so generally under 35 is in a remissive state. And, uh, I of course look at TSH, free T3, free T4, all of the active, uh, forms of thyroid hormone and, uh, other biomarkers of inflammation and binding capacity. I also run my micronutrients and I run my adrenals and hormones and that's this interweb <laughs> play of my my kind of concept within the anti-anxiety diet and how I clinically work is that the body wants to be safe right? And I think that in today's society, we're all wearing many hats and we're often you know, commended <laughs> to take on all of the roles and do all of the things and burn the midnight oil. And then even in the health industry, it's like how much layering of biohacking can you do, right? So <laughs> I want to do the, the cold temperature bath soak in the morning and, and then infrared sauna and hit training and intermittent fasting. And I've really found that even people that are seeking to optimize and thrive in their bodies that we need to be mindful of the hormesis or the hormetic load that the body has the capacity for. And what I'm kind of speaking to in that is that there's this process of allostatic load. And that basically means taking on a selected stressor. And so for me, it's like being a clinician, having a three-year-old, all of these things, right? And (laughs) three-year-old being at the top of the list on that. (laughs) Totally. Yes. Um, And, you know, anything like exercise, I love using the comparison of exercise with allostatic load. So think of like lifting a five to 10 pound uh, arm weight, and you're doing bicep curls, right? Well, if, if you do that uh, for 10 to 15, 20 maybe reps, and you do a couple sets of that, and then you work in other muscle uh, work at the gym, you're gonna gain resilience. You're gonna gain tone, definition, strength, right? And resilience. And over time, you'll get to increase the load that you can bear, and your muscle will become more defined, more active tissue. Now, if you were held at gunpoint to lift that five or 10 pound weight, for over two hours or over 14 hours or over 24 hours, you're gonna have severe atrophy and your body will not have the capacity to repair that level of distress. So we have to think of it as kind of this tipping scale that we're all under, whether it's a selected stress like exercise or again, fasting or the ketogenic diet or It's an emotional stress. Maybe we're going through a divorce or we're planning for a happy stressor of a wedding or a systemic stress like gut dysbiosis or a pathogen or metal toxicity all of these play a role in the expression of whether our body starts to go into that sympathetic fight-or-flight freak-out survival mode or is able to balance out this parasympathetic beyond rest and digest all of our regulatory function mode. So that's where the thyroid is optimized. That's where the adrenals and our sexual hormone are all going to be optimized.
1: Yeah, and coming from a place where, and I'm sure you've been through it too, where, you know, when you have suffering adrenals or thyroid or any kind of issues going on, that, like you said, some of those things like keto, fasting, and exercise are stressors that are not the healthy ones because the platform of the body is kind of not ready for that. And I remember a time where. I couldn't tolerate a certain level of exercise based on my situation and I had to rest it out. And when things were repaired, I'm back to a normal baseline where I could tolerate such things. Um, And so I'd love you to touch a little bit on, you know, people who are suffering with adrenal issues and aren't where they need to be right now with health, how something like maybe intermittent fasting or keto might be a little bit too harsh for that type of body.
2: Yeah. So, you know, it all comes down again to kind of the total load. And so if, if we're just kind of breaking down intermittent fasting in general, I always like to ask each individual, what are your goals? You know, because we all come into things for maybe a perception of I don't know this influencer told me to do it, <laughs> or maybe there's a goal of I'd like to burn body fat, I'd like to lose some weight. Uh, maybe it's a goal of I'd like to upregulate autophagy and and focus on an immunological reset and reduce inflammation. Maybe it's a goal of uh, you know I just want to be get the benefit of calorie restriction so it's always important of what what's the entry point goal and then with fasting we have to determine for instance personally I do a fat fast uh, because I am an individual entering at a low percent body fat and I do eat a ketogenic diet so I do eat a high fat, Low carbohydrate, moderate protein diet. But with that being said, being a type A running individual with all of the things going, I often don't take the time to eat. So even though I'm eating a ketogenic diet, I'm often under calorie intaking because the satiety of ketosis often doesn't create hunger, which would make me leave my desk to go eat. (laughs) So I prioritize nourishment when I eat. But as far as me for intermittent fasting, if I'm going to do that in the morning, I get cognitive clarity starting my day lighter. I don't like to eat something heavy, but I do need to eat fat added into my matcha like coconut oil and ghee. I like to also add other anti-inflammatories and and maybe some adaptogens like uh, ashwagandha in there or cordyceps. And what I'm doing by making that synergy is still support. Supporting my body and its leptin levels, because being at a low percent body fat, and then if I was doing a fast of just water or just coffee or just tea, that's going to actually potentially send signals to my body that I'm underfed, and that can upregulate epinephrine or adrenaline and put me into more of a fight or flight response, which over time is going to suppress my sexual hormone balance. And I've seen that, especially if I'm on like a book deadline or something like that. If I do too tight of fasting, I will lose half of a cup size in my breasts. I mean, I know that my sexual hormone all plummets and I go through that pregnenolone steel and I upregulate cortisol and my body says it's not safe to be re- reproductively sound. So each individual has to take into account, do I have enough reserves or body fat to actually upregulate my endogenous production of ketones, you know, through my body fat stores and is intermittent fasting favorable based on my composition? And then is my stress level going to send signals of distress where I need even more of these safety hormones at bay?
1: What a great description. And I love how you spoke about this conundrum that happens, which is the satiety of keto can, again, lead to a little bit of a problem there. And that's where people need to see if they're doing keto right, especially when you go to it initially. It's such a, gosh, it's such a wonderful release from the hell of food addiction that you kind of kind of get a little high on it and you get off on it. And so in a way, you kind of go a little bit too hard with it. We've seen it even with Brad Kearns. You know, he, he wasn't realizing that he was... Uh, He was playing speed golf, and he just wasn't even thinking about that kind of being chronic cardio for a while because he was so into the sport. And then after a while, he started to crash, his testosterone went down, and realized that you know he was doing a keto experiment, but because he was so satiated, he just really wasn't getting enough calories. And until he changed that and then chilled out on the speed golf, all the numbers came right back to normal, even like high school levels for testosterone for someone who's 55. So very important to watch that. And again, I know you would agree with this. Don't do something just because you're a person who does intermittent fasting. Yes. I do, <laughs> I do too, but there are days when you know what? I'm hungry at 10am and I don't like it, Allie. It it bugs me because it's just kind of off my thing. But you know what? Mm -hmm. I do what my body tells me to do at that time because it is unique and it is different. And so I recognize that and go, you know, I'm hungry today. I don't like that. But my body says to eat right now. And even though I don't normally eat at 10am, I'm going to do it. And so I think it's so important to be intuitive on this journey, right? Because to stick with anything strict isn't really ancestral waves anyway. Does that make sense?
2: Oh, totally. I'm all about fluidity. And I think in last episode we did together, I dropped one of my favorite mantras, which is appropriate again, which is doctrine creates disconnect, (laughs) you know? So it's like when we get so doctrine in anything, any health related principle, and we look at that as the way that rigidity really segregates us from connecting and healing our body because the body is fluid. There is seasonal change. There is hormonal change. There is, like I said, microbiome shifts constantly shifting. And based on exactly how deep you slept that night before, based on where your body's at in a state of you know healing process and so much more emotional stress levels, cognitive demand, the body's going to be at a different metabolic state on a a minute basis, really, you know, definitely by day.
1: Yeah, it happened to me recently. We um, unfortunately had another little kind of fire incident nearby. Uh, you know, and we already went through a huge, horrible fire last year here in Malibu, and so that night when the fire started, um, based on my previous experience with evacuating, I was like, you know what, I. I think it's better for me to stay up tonight and watch the news to be ready to go and ke- instead of like getting not being woken up at the last minute or you know I had this I was a little bit in fight-or-flight mode normally I would never do this but I was like literally drinking coffee at midnight to stay up for this thing and I thought okay well you know what it's it's one night out of my life I know I'm going to suffer here a little bit but I'll be able to gain it back and it just makes me feel better to not to go to sleep so I stayed up and then I, I eventually bailed out of my place at five in the morning and you know by like 8 a.m. I was starving <laughs> I'd been yeah. up I'd been <laughs> Been up all night, you know, it was, I could feel it. I mean, it wasn't a positive thing, but again, made me feel safer. And, you know, I ate a huge, huge breakfast at like 8 a.m., which never happens to me. But again, based on the sleep, based on the scenario, based on what my body was like, hey, you need fuel right now. And then thankfully, I got sleep. But we're ever changing. Days are going to be different, and you have to go intuitively on this. Let's. What I love about, both of your books are amazing, but I love the Anti-Anxiety Diet Cookbook because it's not just a cookbook. You really go through in detail nutrients, what their function is, what the deficiency symptoms are, and the food sources. It's so important. Let's talk about a couple of things where, let's give us some examples on a client who maybe only had a couple of nutrient deficiencies that were really the culprit. Because I'd love to just, again, explain how sometimes, how simple these fixes are. And I'm sure you've had a couple of experiences where, yes, you've had complicated cases, but there might be just a couple where it's like, you know what, they just needed to up their zinc in the selenium. Love to hear a few of those if you have them. Absolutely. So I do micronutrient assessments in clinic. And
2: I always say, again, I'm I'm looking at it for a deeper picture or an explanation of the foundation or the why, not just you're low in biotin, take 5,000 micrograms, (laughs) X, Y, Z. Um, But I'm looking at why they would, be functionally deficient in these nutrients. So is it increased demand? Is it a physiological process? For instance, when glutamine levels are down, my first line of defense is okay, well, you know, glutamine is a fuel source for our enterocytes, which is a fancy word for gut cells, right? So we know that L-glutamine plays a significant role in our gut integrity and supporting a rebuild of our gut lining. So if I see low L-glutamine and then I see let's say low biotin as well and low vitamin K then my mind goes, okay, well now I know biotin and vitamin K are manufactured in the large intestine. So this individual definitely is an inflammatory bowel-like case, right? They likely have a sterilized or dysbiotic gut because they're not manufacturing the vitamin K, they're not manufacturing the biotin, and their glutamine levels are functionally low. So that means that there's likely been some damage, some wear and tear along the gut lining, and that could be all the way through the large intestine as well. So I'll then go forward with determining before again, supplementing those two, three things, you know, the, the, why it could be depleted in the first place. And it could go even deeper than that. It could be that there's dysbiosis. I usually assess that rather than having a client invest right away in another fancy lab, like a stool test, which which can be a great foundational assessment. But I usually will start with just a probiotic challenge in this type of a case where I'm like, okay, do you tolerate live active cultures? Um, And I'll inquire on different forms of probiotic foods. So, you know, each probiotic food, and and I talk about this in my book, I have a table of the different strains of bacteria in the varied fermented foods and how those influence different neurotransmitters. Um, But if we're talking sauerkraut or kimchi, this is more of the lactobacillus strains. If we're talking about tolerance of kombucha, then we're getting that SCOBY, which also has the saccharomyces, the yeast strains in there. So if the individual doesn't tolerate probiotic foods, foods or a 50-50 blend of lactobifido live active culture probiotic capsule, then I'm going to put them into the category of dysbiosis and move them forward with a cleanse. I'll likely still support that individual with bone broth for the L-glutamine and uh, leafy greens for their vitamin K and making sure that they're not doing egg whites, but they're getting their yolks for their biotin. So I'll give them food as medicine prescriptions to get them above water in these nutrient deficiencies. But if we didn't address that dysbiosis and if we didn't address potentially an elimination diet to remove the inflammation or the food sensitivity that's wearing and tearing on the gut lining, then we're not going to get resolution. We're just going to get this kind of whack-a-mole of repleting the potential deficiency, but seeing other dysfunction in the body.
1: Can you explain why? uh, So for example, I could tolerate a probiotic pill with those components you just mentioned, but sauerkraut or kombucha can sometimes leave me bloated and not feeling good in the gut. And sometimes people think, oh, well, you know, I'll get my probiotics, I'll drink kombucha every day. And frankly, that can be a problem for some people. I'm I'm sort of one of them. And I love kombucha. And it doesn't mean that I still don't have it every now and then. But when I was drinking it regularly, I started to notice issues there where I didn't have them if I took a probiotic pill with the same components. So is there something you can elaborate or clarify on that conundrum?
2: Sure, I mean, I mean, I just really believe as far as probiotic supplements, if it's a good quality, you know, pharmaceutical grade brand, and we're looking at the CFUs, all probiotics should be in colony forming units. And uh, the nice thing about a probiotic capsule is they're going to do the good, the good quality brands again are going to do like a DNA strain analysis of certification. So we're not getting the wild element of the fermentation process, which can have a variance within the cultures that are viable. There is a general, you know, lead, like I said, lactobacillus is generally the lead in your fermented vegetables. But with that being said, there's so many different wild yeast and wild brine strains. And then there's the compounding variable of the fact that there's other ingredients that could be some level of a reaction. So for instance, with kombucha, is it the fermentation and, uh, the element of the residual sugar, right? If someone has a high fructose sensitivity, I've seen kombucha brands out there now that have apple juice in them. Oh, it's so bad. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, what? Um, you know, so there's that potentiality. And then with the the krauts and such, I see a lot of people that get that bloating distension. And it could be again, the, the, you know, mismanaged fermentation process, so there could actually be error. There could be pathogenic bacteria. And if it isn't mismanaged, it could be the wild brine intolerance, or it could be cruciferous vegetable where, you know, there really should be more active enzymes in a fermented cruciferous, which actually should make it more bioavailable, more absorbable, less distressing for the gut. But you're still going to always get some bloating, some gas when you do eat those denser fibrous foods.
1: What is uh, something that seemed like a complicated situation, but again, I mean, you know, like it could be back to just a gut scenario like you talked about previously. Um, As far as nutrient deficiencies and the mind and, you know, happiness and depression and all of that stuff or anxiety what are some of the main culprits you've found in clients who've recovered from you know getting off of the anxiety hamster wheel and it might have been you know can you list some foods or some nutrients and things that were like oh you know had a person and they were deficient here and once they did that they were able to to get happier
2: Totally. And, and just to kind of wrap back on that biotin, vitamin K, glutamine, sure. that individual came to me for blood sugar issues. And so nothing even GI related, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is right. wild and right. Vitamin K plays an integral role with our utilization of insulin. Biotin plays a significant role with blood sugar metabolism and glutamine plays a role sugar cravings. So she had out of body, he, excuse me, had out of body sugar cravings. So it's one of these things where it's like, it didn't connect with digestion, but the end of it, the root cause was digestive function. Um, So when we're talking about mental health, I do tie so much of it as you acknowledge back to the gut, you know, and both the microbiome and the gut integrity, because that regulates what gets into the bloodstream and what's able to cross the blood brain barrier. So I'm I'm really watching those two areas as far as foundation to ensure that we're not driving uh, inflammation and imbalance in the body, but therapeutic nutrients that I've seen fantastic outcomes with starts for sure, with amino acids and getting ample protein. I mean, <laughs> it's just far none because our amino acids or the building blocks of proteins serve as precursors or building blocks to our neurotransmitters. So if you don't have, you know, the juice in the tank, you're not going to be in an optimized production state. So looking at especially nutrients like serine, uh, serine is an amino acid that plays a role. Uh, it can convert into phosphatidylserine serine and this is a nutrient of high priority in neurological conditions. Phosphatidylserine has the ability to actually block cortisol output. And so it has a direct anxiety regulating influence by down regulating or reducing that primary stress hormone. And then it also supports neurological function. So that can help cognitive function, memory. Serine is very rich in a grass fed way, as well as all animal Protein. So that's where we kind of create this caveat where I remove dairy. Again, here's this doctrine creates disconnect, right? I remove dairy from the anti anxiety diet because of the casein and that influence we talked earlier about the opioid receptors. But we still have to acknowledge that everyone's biochemically unique and some people may get benefits from some clean forms of dairy. So we have to start to think of who responds to casein negatively? Well, people that have low stomach acid and people that have increased gut permeability or leaky gut. So if you have optimized digestive acids and you don't have leaky gut, that's going to make that casein less reactive. Then there's the forms of casein, you know, a one or a (laughs) two and the breed. And then there's things like grass fed whey, which could be non denatured, more whole food form, retaining all of the immunoglobulins, glutathione, fantastic antioxidant. And, uh, would be free of Casey and all completely, um, based on the extraction process. So it's, it's this, we don't want to get in these myopic rules, these rigid rules of no dairy (laughs) because it's in the plan. We want to kind of test our own personal tolerance because, um, this woman individual that I'm thinking of that had the, the functionally low serine had been dairy free and found out that she tolerated grass-fed whey and ghee and the ghee bringing that back into her diet really helped her to get her fat levels up for her hormone balance. So we're always looking at, you know, what are the most nutrient dense forms to get us above water and replete these deficiencies. Why the deficiency would occur in the first place? So, was she under chronic stress and depleting that compound because she was burning cortisol and her body was trying to block it? And then she was also dairy free, so she
1: didn't have the primary food source. So fascinating. I also too, um, while I'm not positive for anything on a blood test that would show a negativity towards dairy, um, and I could maybe tolerate some heavy cream a lot better than I can other things. But when I do go for cheese or I have a splurge on dairy... I got to be honest with you. I kind of regret it every time. Um, Not only do I notice that I've got the mucus situation forming and it's not horrendous, but it's enough where I can notice a difference in my breathing. And also too, I feel depressed. Like you're so right about the brain barrier. Mm. Whenever, and I I don't really eat gluten, but you know, if it were to come up or there's some kind of cheat or something happens and it's like Thanksgiving or I'm going to eat some real stuffing, um, I still always regret it. And that's why I just try to go for the grain free options. And cheese again, you know, every now and then I do crave it and it's fine. On, but I also kind of know what's going to happen to me. And so I'll have to adjust around that. And honestly, every time I kind of regret it. I mean, it seems like a good idea. <laughs> so it's gotten far be- you know, far and few between that I will do it. And I'm even talking about sprinkling some Parmesan on some okay. partial sprouts. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So I think it's really important to do a paleo elimination, get really clean. And then totally. again, you know, you, you see what you can tolerate. Um, and I, I think what heavy cream is probably the lowest in casein versus... Cheese. Cheese, right. Cheese yeah. is quite concentrated. I was going to
2: say, do you notice less reactivity in sheeps or goats, which would be a different type of casein?
1: You know, I, I haven't actually, uh, you know, I haven't discerned that yet, but I would say that one thing that I did notice is that unpasteurized cheeses are better. Sure. Assimilated. Yep. Um I might do that test again and see and just have like some straight up, you know, and again, though, I just noticed it just... Eh. I I wake up the next day kind of feeling puffier. Like there's just Mm -hmm. something about it that's very reactive. And again, these are one of those things where your body's informing you, your taste and your palate might want it, and you have to make some real informed decisions.
2: (laughs) Can can I share a perspective on food freedom? I think it's totally fitting in this moment. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I I think this this concept, I love it. And, And it is, we're all individualized, right? Someone's superfood is someone else's kryptonite. And like you said, we have to enter in an elimination diet and then wring out the inflammation in our body with discipline so that we can get into this optimal state so we can hear the whispers and the feedback of our body. Because what I really feel, Elle, is that so many people enter kind of this wellness sphere or try to do an intensive diet entering at mediocre or crummy. (laughs) And when you're living in mediocre or crummy, you don't notice your hands swelling in the morning. You don't notice the dull ache in your body. You don't notice the brain fog or the difficulty concentrating because that's your MO. And so this idea of food freedom, I always say with restriction comes freedom. You know, you really have to be disciplined. And I recommend a 12-week elimination protocol in my anti-anxiety diet because I really want you to fully ring everything out and then be strategic and mindful. And that's when then you can understand what's worth it and what's not, because I don't believe that that is freedom when we're feeling victimized by our bodies, right? Like, <laughs> and the same thing would, would, you know, transcend to children. Like it's not food freedom to allow them sugar and garbage in the cafeteria and then be medicating them and interfering with their pathways because they're not behaving. <laughs> it's like, that's not freedom. That's not choice. That's actually victimizing and damaging.
1: That's a really interesting perspective. Um, this book is so, – first of all, I just want to throw out a couple of things I caught in your – there's so many great recipes in here. But just Thank for you. the audience, we've got like savory pork hash with sage Brussels, got a sneaky bolognese with greens, even lemon-lavender CBD balls. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, really, you you've set a book for everybody to rebound their adrenals – get a reset on everything including their mind. And let's talk about the adrenals for a second because when mine were off and I was hypothyroid back in the day, it's when I first had anxiety attacks for the first time in my life. In fact, I never knew what they were. Couldn't understand them, of course, because if you are one that has never had one and someone's mm-hmm. describing it to you, it just doesn't make sense until you have one. <laughs> and then when you do, it's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah. And hypothyroidism when it's untreated and, you know, gotten out of control does because of what it does to the adrenals cause so much anxiety. I feel so I want everybody out there who experiences anxiety to please buy Ally books and consult with her because there is a way out of this and food medicine. But you know what, here's the thing, even if you're hypothyroid, and you can't correct it through diet, you need to go down this road anyway, first, right? As you know, we talked mm-hmm. about this on your podcast, too if you're not at the right platform of a clean-out baseline, your body's not even gonna be able to receive thyroid hormones if you have to take them. So this is a path everybody should go down, but particularly if you think that you are unresolved with some mental disorder or issue, this is where food is medicine. And my gosh, I really wish... I know you feel the same way. Every psychiatrist before ever prescribing a pill should be looking at all the things you're looking at. Yes. And it almost seems like malpractice. I mean, you know, here, let me give you a Prozac, but oh, you have a thyroid problem. Well, it's not going to work three months later. It's going to stop working, right? And so, gosh, I wish this message could get across to the MDs out there who are prescribing SSRIs and anti-anxiety medication um, without looking at the full picture. Um, let's talk about some people that you've dealt with who had some real severe your anxiety and, and how they were able to get beyond it. Yeah. So, I mean, so many, and I think finally I've actually received
2: so many DMS on Instagram and emails from clients whose psychiatrists have showed them my book. So it's happening. It's really cool. (laughs) Yeah. And I also get really excited about the fact that genetics are finally being taken into account in a little bit more of mainstream medicine. And we're starting to understand the influence of methylation and both MTHFR and COMT are huge important genes. So this is a good example of a woman who was working with a, uh, naturopath or a functional practitioner. Um, and I'm kind of using air quotes over here. I, I don't know the individual's prior practitioner, but they had her on over 10 milligrams of methylfolate. And usually folate is in micrograms to be clear. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And it's one of these kind of, again, myopic concepts of, oh, you have MTHFR. I have a very preliminary understanding of this. And this means that your body doesn't methylate. So here, here's a five milligram methylfolate, um, you know, l methyl tetrahydrofolate lozenge. And here's another three B vitamin complexes that have methylfolate. And they didn't understand that this individual was only heterozygous, so meaning only one gene was mutated of the methylfolate pathway. But this individual was homozygous on her COM and COMT pulls in the adrenal. COMT stands for catecholamine methyl S transferase. And your catecholamines are your stress-responding neurotransmitters made by your adrenal glands. So this is we're talking about dopamine, norepinephrine, and epinephrine. So when this individual was given mega, I mean mega, I really try to keep methylfolate under two milligrams or around there. Okay. So when she was given this 10, um, you know she started feeling really crazy and i mean like racing thoughts diff- like like speedy thoughts was finding herself in the grocery store just looking at the walls and having no idea why she was there and how she got there mm. and really manic. And really what was happening was that high methylfolate was overdriving her MTHFR pathway because it's like wheels, right, in the body. So it was over-methylating in one sense and building up and damming in that homozygous COMT. So all of her stress-responding chemicals, dopamine when too high, can drive this like hypervigilance, anxiety, um, almost paranoia effect in the body and brain. And so there's that kind of like, you know, bright lights type of thing. And and overreactivity. And then the adrenaline from the norepinephrine and epinephrine was on high. And so what we needed to do was, of course, greatly (laughs) reduce the methylfolate. Uh, I brought it down to one milligram as a baseline, and I gave her a bunch of SAMe, which stands for S-adenosylmethionine. So SAMe is made by the liver, and SAMe is a great friend to the COMT gene. It actually helps to then Regulate that buildup of that damming of those stress chemicals and support the removal of that excess buildup. And so it took about 48 hours, but I got a, a call with tears where she was like, my thoughts slowed down. Mm. I feel <laughs> like a human. I also layered in, of course, magnesium bisglycinate and, you know, which is uh, a compound, a type of magnesium that crosses the blood brain barrier. Magnesium bisglycinate is fantastic to also block cortisol stimulation. Um, so I gave her some of that, some altheanine, some nervy nerves, but in 48 hours, she had a complete 180 where she was literally feeling like a chicken
1: with her head cut off. That's amazing. Uh, Do you recommend that form of magnesium for everyone that just wants to get daily magnesium? Or was that just a specific form for that situation? Yeah. Magnesium
2: glycinate or bisglycinate is going to be the best form for neuromuscular function. And so that's my go-to as far as most bioavailability. When we look at like the citrate and the oxide, those are more osmotic, meaning that they're going to be more functional as like a stool softener, Mm -hmm. um, but not optimal for daily use because that can cause some bowel dependency. It pulls water into the colon and so it'll break up like dense dehydrated bowel mass. Uh, But you really want the glycinate for a reduction of stress response in the body. So that's going to help best for blood sugar metabolism, as well as blood pressure, as well as muscle aches. Like if you're holding tension in the neck and the shoulders or, or clenching your jaw at night, it's the magnesium bisglycinate that's going to help that all disengage.
1: Let's go back to MTHFR. Uh, so I, I would love you to give a little bit of a mini tutorial on this for audience. So the MTHFR, we joke around and call it the motherfucker, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but here's the thing. So I didn't realize that I had an issue there and had to take a methyl B12 folate. Um, I, until I did. And then I recently had a friend who's about 50, never went to a functional doctor, but I finally convinced them to get a full in-depth workup. Thank God they did, but they also discovered the MTHFR and I guess, uh, my doctor, you know, p- prescribed or said, Hey, you know, here's the methyl B12 folate situation. And I recently, it's been a few months and I was recently talking to them and they said, you know what? I don't know how to qualify this. I feel calmer and better and different after mm-hmm. taking this B12 thing that Dr. Forsman gave me and I was like I'm not surprised can we talk about this MTHFR why people need to get it tested and what it's about the methylation pathways why this why that would make sense that someone would say that
2: yeah so the process of methylation is basically building or excreting so methylation can play an integral role in excreting toxin buildup in the body. Methylation can play a dynamic role in building neurotransmitters and namely serotonin is significantly influenced in that pathway. Um, There's also a lot of other compounds that are built through the methylation process, which play a role in neurological health fertility, autoimmune disease, inflammatory processes, and really so much. <laughs> um, so when someone has what, what Dr. Ben Lynch so eloquently calls a dirty gene, and what he's referring to is a SNP, um, that's a single nucleotide polymorphism. Dirty gene is so much easier, right? <laughs> um, but if you have a SNP, this means that either mom or dad, if you have a heterozygous SNP, hetero meaning one, homozygous meaning both, heterozygous would mean that mom or dad gave you that mutated copy of the gene. So you're at about 50% functionality of that gene. And then if you were homozygous, both dad and mom gave you the dirty copy of the gene or the non-functional mutated. And so you're going to be at a very limited capacity of that biochemical pathway. So with MTHFR, there's a dominant gene, which is the C677T copy. And that's the one that's going to have about 60% influence on your methylation process. So we're, again, I was speaking to that past client. I do feel methylation is very important. And like I said, it plays a role with inflammation, neurotransmitters, uh, neurological function, fertility. And we do need to be aware of if we need to support with nutrient, that driving of that wheel. So we don't have a squeaky wheel or a slow wheel, right? We get the functionality of the biochemical pathway, but we still have to look at the symphony of all of our uh, SNPs or all of our genetic mutations because there there may be one that is more significant than that MTHFR based on the individual.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Important for people to go get that checked out. There may be that simple, again, a simple bottle of a supplement that can really change yeah. someone's life and um, <clears throat> and their daily experience. This book is for everybody that just yeah. wants to get. Yeah, let's talk about that. So you don't have to have anxiety to benefit from it. First of all, Allie's books are amazing. They're so detailed. They are really a one stop shop go to even the cookbook. Um, you can have one without the other or both. I, I suggest both to be complementary to each other. Let's talk about this book. And, you know, it's for everybody um, to get on a healthy path and also to work with what might be ailing them mentally and emotionally what else can we say about this book? It's it's just it's so in depth. I love it and I love that you go through all the nutrients and really lay it out. It's again, it's not just recipes. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much,
2: Elle. It's That's awesome to hear your feedback. I I was hesitant to call the first book the anti anxiety diet because first I'm not a fan of the word diet, and you know I think that anxiety has a stigma still where a lot of us don't want to claim it. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh no, no, that's not me. I'm I'm just really stressed right now. And the premise of the book though really takes on a deep dive into the HPA axis, which is that hypothalamic pituitary adrenal. And I've alluded to that a couple times when I've talked. About that, you know, body being in that sympathetic fight or flight or parasympathetic rest, digest, regulate. And so everyone can benefit from shifting that pendulum swing from that fight or flight place to a parasympathetic safe place because the way that we are indicted with bright blue light, with technology advancements, communication at (laughs) rapid speed, we're all in this buzzed, electrically charged. Little bit of a wiry sensation of needing to feel grounded. And I think that the tools and the science and the strategy that I position in the anti anxiety diet and then really unpack in the application in the cookbook provide everyone that bubble wrap that they need to be resilient and to ensure that their body feels safe to get into that regulatory mode, which is where all of the balance of the body occurs.
1: I mean, and that's perfect for. I mean, in general, just our the primal ancestral message of, "Hey, we got modern life happening, right? And we have to adapt to it. In order to adapt to this conundrum of electrical and you know communication and you know multitasking, 100 miles an hour a day, we have to support that. Was we didn't have that before? We used to hang out for five hours and sit there with the kids and chat, and you know maybe walk yeah. up a hill. And so, without intended targeted meditation practice or relaxation techniques, which I know you would uh, suggest anyway, This is the way to start. And I love Mm -hmm. that you do take an in depth look at this HPA access because, you know, frankly, the adrenals, regardless of so many people have adrenal issues that then will lead to other issues, as you know. And so I think in our society right now, if anything, I just see like the adrenals being like the blanket issue Mm. for most people that they've got to get in line. This is why people are gaining fat around the middle and don't know why. And, you know, all this stuff or think they can get away with lack of sleep. So I, I I love this book and the recipes are really delicious. I know you've got a really great palette. Mm -hmm. Um, what Let's tell us. So AllieMillerRD.com. We, you know, you've got a podcast called nationally nourished, which is amazing. You've got a blog, uh, virtual learning. Um, Let's talk about your practice and how can someone work with you? dude? they have to be local to you? Can you work with someone across the country who's, you know, just given up and been to a hundred doctors and needs, <laughs> needs, needs some guidance? Yeah. So I work virtually only now, which is wonderful.
2: Uh, I live in Austin, Texas, but I work virtually. So I work with, you know, everyone. (laughs) I'm everywhere and nowhere at the same time, essentially as a practitioner. Um, But with that being said, my one-on-one care is booked about six months out in advance. And so I do still take new active clients and I love to work with zebras, but I've put a lot of time and energy to create resources that can help you start today. You know, So with both the anti-anxiety diet and the anti-anxiety diet cookbook, you're going to see deep dive recommendations on supplementation, on labs. I make all of my clinical functional labs available for purchase on my website. So if you feel uh, I have quizzes that will tell you, you know, are you leading with dysbiosis, leaky gut, adrenal fatigue, where would you want to prioritize your investments? You know, maybe it's a four-point cortisol assessment with DHEA and we want to add on those neurotransmitters. And I try to guide you through all the resources I've developed so that you have an entry point. And if you do order labs on my website, it's either Becky, my co-host of my podcast or myself. She's also a functional medicine dietitian. And we provide you a direct detailed interpretation. And then we're just launching, speaking of the adrenals, Adrenal Rehab, a program that will be active November 1st. And this is three plus hours of video content. I'm super stoked to put it out there. Uh, 20 uh, customized worksheets. And um, we're going to be trickling in emails weekly for the first four weeks. But it's a self-guided deep dive to learn about how to bubble wrap your system for chronic stress response.
1: I love it. And I know that you would agree with this too. There's no way of getting out of learning the stuff yourself. And that's why I like that you're doing a self-guided, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm here to help you, but you have to learn this yourself, yeah. right? You know, you no matter be what, because we might run into a situation where, Hey, your coach is not available. Your doctor's not available and you need to kind of get back to basics on your own. And I know we're all, when we're hating it and we're in ill health, we're just looking for someone to save us. But this is why Allie's books are so great. And her podcast and everything else is so much in-depth, free or inexpensive information to help you get to where you need to go yourself. And it really can be done. Right. And so, um, what would you like to leave our audience with in terms of, you know, your, your book or food is medicine, anything that, um, to, 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 to wrap it up? Sure.
2: So I'll just give you guys maybe like, a, how about three tips to just mellow your mind? <laughs> Love it. Oh. <laughs> okay. I'm like, I don't know, on the cuff. Um, so the first thing I would say to check out, if you are if you know that you're not managing stress ideally, or you're running on adrenaline a little bit, the first thing I'd recommend doing is cutting out the caffeine. I know not a popular recommendation. Um, if you choose that you don't want to cut out caffeine, I would suggest switching to matcha, which at least has L-theanine in there. That's going to be a pilot or a regulator for your neurotransmitters. It upregulates the alpha brainwave, which is seen during concentration, meditation, creative thought process, REM cycles of sleep. So uh, that would be a great swap out of matcha from coffee or potentially layering in CBD to your coffee because the CBD is going to mitigate that epinephrine adrenaline response from the caffeine. So that's going to at least kind of nip that in the bud a little bit. And and you can also add fat to kind of tonify the adrenals. The second thing I would say is you gotta cut the sugar. I highly suggest doing a ketogenic diet when we're dealing with mental illness or even just high stress anxiety response because ketones cross the blood brain barrier and they upregulate GABA. So, you know, check out all the resources I have out there that Ella's out there to learn about using a ketogenic diet. Cut the carbs, cut the refined sugar. That roller coaster of blood sugar or regulation is not helping you manage your stress or your mood. And the third recommendation I would say is be good to your gut. Um, so what you can do in that sense, especially if you know you're under higher stress, like if I'm public speaking, I'm on book tour, I am traveling with my GI lining support and scooping that L-glutamine like it's my job <laughs> because your gut integrity actually gets damaged from things like mental stress and anxiety social anxiety alone it actually starts to wear and tear at your gut lining we get glutamine depletion and we get markers like secretory iga and lps that go up in a stress response and those drill holes in our gut so when you know you're under stress be proactive with that collagen that gelatin that bone broth and consider an l-glutamine supplement that's also going to help you to curve those blood sugar cravings, support lean body mass, but really harness the gut lining, which is going to reduce the inflammation in the body. And that's full circle because if the body's inflamed, it makes epinephrine or adrenaline because it says something's not right. <laughs> so that goes back to then cutting the coffee and all those three things.
1: It's amazing the way, and uh, anyone listening to see the way that you make connections. And so in terms that we can understand uh, again, AllieMillerRD.com, and we will put all of the links to connect with her and her books The show notes. Thank you so much for coming on today. It's my pleasure. You're the best, Al. All right, everyone, I'll see you next week.
0: Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm, used to be called Primal Calm. And the key ingredient in this formula is called phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress. Whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind, we're constantly triggering the fight-or-flight mode in modern life, in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body, and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining, overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right, phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients, and you can make that